Hello, Sobertown. Let's jump on that sober train and ride into the wonderful world of sobriety. You can find all of our podcasts and more at SobertownPodcast.com. My name is Bill W. and my co-host and partner is Kira. Hi, everyone. This is the fifth episode of the Uncovering Happiness podcast. Our hope for this podcast is to share stories about uncovering happiness so that you might do the same in your life. Our person of interest today is Josh. Josh is a self-described overthinker, hobby collector, and recovery podcaster. He's really excited to be going to Comic-Con this weekend after a couple of years of not having Comic-Con in the world. You can find his podcast called An Atheist Reads the Big Book of AA wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search that anywhere you want and you will be able to find what Josh is talking about. Before we begin, we'd like to take a moment for mindfulness to transition from whatever we were doing before to this present moment, and also to remember the people we've lost to addiction or suicide. We wanna send out compassion and hope to those who are touched by the suffering of mental illness and addiction and send out some self-love for ourselves. So let's take 30 seconds to do that now. All right. Thank you. Hi, Josh. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to jump right in with the first question that we have been posing to all of our guests, and that is, what does uncovering happiness mean to you? Well, I I mean, I I think that might be an ever-changing question or answer. Like, I I think if you had asked me at 20, I probably would have had a very different answer than I have today or even would have in a week. Um, I think for me, uncovering happiness is really identifying who I am and in the hopes that it would help me identify what what my actual needs are in life. Um, I think when I was younger, I thought happiness was something that you had to you could only find externally through other means. And I think as I'm getting older, I'm finding that happiness starts inside. So I think for me, it's, it's, yeah, it's uncovering the truth of who I am and then seeing how that applies to the real world. Hmm. That's great. I love that. Me too. Um, So I'm just wondering when that changed for you. Like you said, your younger years, you thought it was an external thing. And as you're getting older, it's an internal thing. Do you remember, was there a point in time where you were like, whoa, happiness is inside of me? I don't know if it's, I see, honestly, I feel like this has been kind of a back and forth for me. Um, 
you know, when I was, when I was really young, uh, I thought the outside world was what determined my happiness, the things that we had or didn't have and, and the way that people treated me or the way that I felt the world treated me, um, was an indicator of whether I was happy or not. And then as I got a little older, I found that there was no, because I didn't find that happiness in the external world and I had to manifest it through other means or uh, hide the fact that I wasn't happy, which was where alcohol and, and um, some drug use came in um, because I didn't feel like I was capable of happiness or even deserved it. I felt that I would embrace a different direction. And that usually came about with drinking and, and just kind of being a little bit of a scumbag. Um, when I went to prison, uh, the, the happiness sort of journey switched to more of an internal one. Cause I, I didn't trust the external in there. So I had to find it inside. But when I got out and I started drinking again, um, it switched again. So it's, it's, it's really mostly been recent this last little bit of sobriety the last two and a half years that, that that transition has become more clear. And I, I want to say that it was the day I decided to become sober, but that's not really true either. I think even in sobriety, it took a while for me to realize that um, the external, while important, the external doesn't bring me happiness. My happiness just influences my external. So hmm. uh, it was not like a light switch moment for that. Like it was for my sobriety. It was, it's, it's been a slow burn. And I think the last six months to the last year has been when that really has been, um, solidified for me. That's cool. I, I like the idea that it's a slow burn because at least for me, that seems more sustainable as opposed to, you know, it's like, oh, it was all here at once. And for me anyways, when I, I get that, like, oh, I got to do it all right now, it, I burn out pretty quickly. And yeah, that's, that's cool that you have that like slow burn of like, oh, I want to go here, but maybe I'll like try this other way. And, you know, you keep going forward, but you take these little like side paths along the way to see if like, hmm, maybe there's happiness over there or over there. And, oh, no, like I'm just going to keep walking forward a little bit. Yeah. One of my, uh, I, there's a whole bunch of sayings in AA, you know, that, that kind of bounce around that have just sprung up. And the only one that I really, really like is progress, not perfection. And I know it's not an AA specific saying people say something similar all the time, but, um, living that in, in my life has actually been just the biggest benefit. Like I don't, I, there's no reason for me to feel like I'm unhappy right now because I didn't achieve a certain set of things. Um, but if I look hard enough, I can see that I am happy right now. And that came from progress it came from slowly working towards a thing and not just hoping that it was going to happen tomorrow yeah yeah just hoping things are going to happen is uh it's very a very misleading way to live life because then you're just you know you're kind of at the mercy of whatever happens and i think it's more important to have a direction to walk into towards that way you always know which way you're going See, I don't know. Okay. I, this is probably going to not sound as productive as it should, but I don't have that much of a, 
one of the biggest problems that I had was I had too many specific things I thought that I was going to achieve, um, be it financially or mentally or whatever. Uh, when it was my artwork, it was, okay, I'm going to have these, uh, I'm going to have this, this business. And then this, this, uh, this set of things are going to happen. And this is what I'm going to do to get to those set of things. And I always found a lot of disappointment there. Um, this isn't going to be true for everybody. This is true. My truth though. So while I have some kind of more vague long-term goals, um, the fact that I, I don't have a specific set of these next 10 things need to happen for me to obtain those has helped me achieve more of a sense of not only calm and peace, but, but happiness. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean like I'm not progressing. Like, I know I want to be a little bit better every day. I want to work towards things, but I, the, the specific, the specificity, once I lost those specific things and that obsession of having those specific things, I was able to feel a little bit more at peace with myself. That's cool. seems like, is that kind of have to do with like managing your expectations of, you know, what, what needs to happen? Yeah, a, a little bit of that, understanding my personality more, like, I guess, going back to just the idea that, you know, as I learn more about myself, then I'm able to have that apply to my external. There's parts of my personality, and I know the, the process of AA recovery, you're supposed to lose some of this stuff. There's parts of my process, my personality, I'm probably just never going to lose. Part of that is just kind of the way that I handle um long-term things, you know, I, I can't, I can't project. I've just learned this about myself. I can't project 10 years into the future, five years in the future. That's where I fail. That's where I, I end up finding those, yeah, those expectations aren't met. Um, and I, I find that that just isn't reasonable for me to expect of myself. Um, and I'm okay with not changing that. Like, I think that was something I needed to really learn was there's going to be things like that, that maybe would make my life easier if I could project five years in the future and then make plans around that. Um, but what was doing me the most harm was just forcing that for myself when that's just not really kind of a part of who I am. And instead of forcing myself to project five years in the future and then make specific plans, um, finding a more productive way of using how my brain works and my personality works to still achieve the same kind of ideal of, you know, in 10 years, I'd like to have a house. So let's actually put some things into motion to make that happen. Maybe not as specific as some people, other people would, that would be more financially successful or whatever. Um, but kind of meeting it in the middle. Uh, you know, on one hand, I, I procrastinate and I don't really try very hard at certain things because I'm scared of failure. But on the other hand, I have to move forward. So finding that middle ground of, okay, well, this is a thing I would do want. Let's keep that, you know, available in my head. Uh, but let's also kind of give myself a break if I don't meet these 10 things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you should be really proud that you've learned that because so many times when there's a piece of advice given, like, you know, oh, set a long-term goal 10, you know, for, for 10 years from now, that's important. And you need to ask yourself the question of how does that serve me? Or like, does that serve me in a positive way? And if the answer is no, then there's no reason for you to do that. I mean, it might work for a lot of people, but if it doesn't work for you, then why would you do that? But the, the, on the other hand, you've learned that buying a house is something that does take 
some planning, some long-term planning. And if that's something that you want, you can find that gray area in between of how you can plan for that without being, you know, without the the negative aspects of it or the things that you found to be difficult in the past. Yeah. It, it becomes a thing that I'm actually going to work towards rather than yeah. just say, I want to do, which is typical of me in the past is I would just say, I'd want to do these things and then not do anything at all. Cause I, I, the overthinker part of me is, okay, I want to buy a house. And then I start doing the work of in my head of, well, I have no assets right now. I have all this debt. I don't make a lot of money. Um, I can't do this in any amount of time. So I'm not going to bother doing any of it. And then, you know, a year later, I'm like, if I'd have saved a hundred bucks a month, you know, like I would have at least maybe not bought a house, but I would have something to show for that direction. Yeah. And that was, I think the hardest lesson I've, you know, being 41 and then just learning that lesson right now, um, kind of sucks, but, um, you know, I have a lot of people in my life that have shown me that even later in life, you can still achieve these things. So uh, yeah, I feel pretty good that I've at least come to terms with parts of how my brain work and can can at least uh, accept it in a way that now I can use it as a tool. Okay, well, this is how this works. So now we can we can at least do something with that. Yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> um, that like I, I have a lot of student loan debt, and sometimes it just feels like an impossible barrier. But what I've learned in the past year is that just paying whatever I can makes a huge difference because after leaving school, I completely buried my head in the sand about it and pretended like it didn't exist. And that was not the right choice. No, Right there with you. Yeah. There are things that you can do, even though it feels like so big and you never know what's going to happen. It might get easier. Um, but yeah, you're, you're not alone. There's a, a lot of us that, that deal with that. And you're totally right about it not being too late. I get caught up in the timeline thing a lot and um, comparing about where, and it's not even comparing to other people. It's just comparing to where I thought I'd be at this time in my life. And yeah, you just got to let that go. Live in, live in the gray area, like the, the yes. And like, yes, I still have a lot of debt or yes, I'm really far away from owning my own house, but, or, and it's not impossible for me and I can work towards that. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I had the same kind of a concept of just burying my head in the sand. Like, mm -hmm. it, and part of that was because I, I had accrued some debt before going into prison. And then it turns out after a certain amount of years, they just forget about you. Um, some, some places. And so in the back of my head, there was always that like out, like, well, I'll just stop answering my phone. <laughs> and so when I first got out, like I did, I accrued some debts, um, and then uh, more recently, I had a job that was paying well enough that I could take on some credit as a way to build my credit score. And then when that job changed to something that paid a lot less, um, now it's just been something that's been kind of a struggle. But because I stopped ignoring it and actually applied, okay, well, I'm, at the very least, I'm going to make my payment. Like no matter what, like this is now my my mindset. I'm going to make this payment no matter what, even if it's not the, the payment that's going to get into my... Um, you know, my principal, even if it's just the minimum payment, I'm going to make these payments. And that became kind of like the goal. And, and again, it wasn't very specific. It was just, no matter what, just make your payments. And so even though there seemed to be a lot of them and new ones cropping up, because it seems like once you start paying debts, other people remind you that you have some. And um, 
what what happened after a couple of years of just even just the student loan debt, I, I went and I looked at my credit score and I was like, I have an above average credit score. I I still have all this extra debt, but I have actually managed to make my payments on time for such an extended period of time that my credit score went from like 520 to like 660 or something like that, which isn't crazy. Like I'm not buying a house anytime soon, but when my car broke down and I needed to buy a car, I got like 3.9% financing. And I, I honestly thought they made a mistake because I'd never heard anything <laughs> like that from me before. And it, and again, it's like my my income to debt ratio is not great, and these numbers aren't great, but the result is it's existing. Like these things are happening in a way that's very that's fairly positive. And that was, I think, yeah, that's that's a good way of kind of describing that mindset change. Instead of just ignoring these things and just feeling like they're impossible, even though I don't have that specific goal no payoff date, you know, like my ex-wife would know in a year and a half, I'm going to have this paid off and be able to obtain <laughs> that. Even though I don't live in that kind of a future, um, the progress is still there and it's being made. Yeah. Cool. All right. We're going to move on to the next question. I think we, we got that one thoroughly. Uh, so the next one is, who are you now and where are you on your journey to uncovering happiness? Yeah, I always like the who are you question <laughs> because it obviously changes over the years. Um, yeah. I don't have a very good answer for that. And the reason why is I think before when I was younger or even just a few years ago, I would have answered with a lot of um, pop culture traits, things I liked, um, <laughs> the work I did or do. Um, you know, a bunch of like adjectives that I think might describe me. Um, but I've part of my progress and my journey and and being and feeling happy is that I don't think of myself in those ways. I think of how my friends think of me. I guess it's kind of a weird way of, of explaining that. Um I try to imagine how my friends would describe me. And if it's a good description, then I feel like I'm on the right path. That doesn't mean I live in the idea that my friends have to approve of me in some way or that the people in my life or, or that I live for, um, I, I don't live in a way that is like, oh, I better not do this or it might upset somebody or I better do this to make that person happy. I don't live like that, but I do kind of try to uh, take advantage of the witness and yeah. see how I feel others might view me in life. If I feel like I'm leaving a lot of wreckage, because this is how I used to view myself is just this giant piece of shit who was just leaving all this wreckage behind me and who was just never going to amount to anything. And so I, that's how I would describe myself. Um, and so now I try to just look at myself from that witness perspective and see, do like a check-in, I guess, on where I, I might feel like I'm at. Um, but I have a hard time putting that into you know, resume style words, like, mm. you know, I, my, the things I am aren't even, uh, uh, my hobbies or my, my activities anymore. Like I can't really use those as descriptors because that changes so much. Um, I can say that I'm a good significant other. Um, but what does that even mean? Like, yeah, I'm a good partner <laughs> to my, I'm a good partner to my girlfriend. Like we, we have a good relationship, but is that indicative of who I am or 
can that be used as a describer? And it, again, this is part of my overthinking nature. Um, I think what I've just decided is that it's healthier for me to go with how I feel I am doing than to describe myself with words. Cause I get so hung up on those words yeah. when I was, when I was early recovery, even like just come off fresh from a suicide attempt. Um, you know, the, the words that I used on myself were pretty damaging and it took a long time for me to kind of move away from that. Um, but that also included the positive words because once I start putting those monikers on myself and I start trying to live up to this ideal, you know, like I can say that I'm funny, but now that means I have to be like, I have, I have to constantly, you know, like it, it this isn't of course going to be true for everybody else, but I, I definitely, one of the bigger, other bigger lessons I've learned is how I talk to myself. And that includes putting those kinds of labels. It sounds so woo-woo when I say that kind of shit. It's not, it just isn't something I really think a lot about of who I am, because that, that just is like, I think it's an unfair expectation to, I can't fucking answer that, man. I've been trying to answer that for 41 years. <laughs> Like what, uh, why yeah. trying to answer that is the absolute purpose of all this, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, the, the, the short answer is, is I'm, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a funny guy that, uh, I like to try to, to brighten other people's moods. Um, if I can, I, I'm a good partner. <laughs> I, you know, I treat my girlfriend's son with respect and try to teach him good, good things. Um, I'm, but I'm also kind of a shitty grandson. I don't call my grandma very often. Um, I'm not a great friend. I don't reach out to my friends as much as I should, you know? So that's kind of the, I just gave a long explanation of that very short answer, but I telling myself I'm a shitty friend because I don't call my friends. Now I have to make plans to change that. You know what I mean? <laughs> now I'm like, well, now that I've brought that up, um, let's put that on the list of things that I need to fix. Yeah. Um, well, maybe that starts, you know? That's, that's the thing. Like they don't need fixing you. That's just, those are just thoughts. Like you said, they're not, they're not your labels. They are not who you are. Those are just like your feelings and feelings aren't who we are. They're just things. They're, they're just like the words that we attribute to how we feel, you know? And I, I think you're right. Like they're, I can give an example that, maybe is like a correlation to what you were saying. We were at a expo and it was like a week long. And one part of the expo was, you know, there's a bunch of tables and you go talk to people and you pass out business cards and everybody asks, who are you with? And it's like, what do you mean? Who am I with? You don't even know me. You don't even know who I am. And when you were telling me, you know, you're, you're, your quote unquote long-winded story, that's what I was thinking about. Like they just wanted to label me as something. And that hurt me because I wasn't a part of something that they wanted to, to know about. And they didn't even care about me as a person. And that's kind of what I was thinking about when you were talking. It was like, you know, you start labeling yourself, you start labeling others, and you, you may forget that that person you're labeling is like a real person that 
has feelings of like, I'm a, I, I'm a bad grandson. I'm a great this. I'm a great that. I'm a bad this sometimes. Like, that's the true stuff that matters. And I don't know if there's actually words for all that. Yeah, words fall short of who we really are. Yeah, they do. And they also come with like a list of uh, qualifiers for those words. You know, yeah. I mean, if you were going to say, if I were going to say I'm a Democrat, which I'm not, or a Republican, I'm not any of that. But if I were to say that, then now there's a whole list of stuff I have to, I have to, that, that goes on underneath that. If I were to say that I am a good grandson, there's 7 billion people that might have a different version of what that might mean. And mm-hmm. trying to identify that starts to just become for people like me starts to become the obsessive part. You know, when I, when I used to say that I was, when I say I'm an alcoholic, I say it more as just like a familiarity, a commonality that I have with other people, but internally I don't identify as an alcoholic. I don't identify, my identity is not tied up in being sober or being in recovery. That's just the thing I do. And that came from a lot of this sort of stuff. Like, when you say that you're, when I say that I am in recovery, now there's a list of things that go along with that, that I have to kind of agree with. And I might mm-hmm. not the same with alcohol, same with being in certain programs. Like, even though I identify that I'm in AA, it, I have to be careful that that doesn't become a part of my identity. So yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to just put into words who I am, but at the same time, I can look inside and feel I'm on a good path and I feel like I'm a good person. I like yeah. that. You, you are a good person. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's all that matters. It was such I, a hard lesson to learn how to talk to myself. Like I, I try to tell my, my friends this stuff. Cause I have friends that still struggle with like anxiety and depression. It's like, you gotta, you gotta talk to yourself, how you talk to your best friend. Yeah. Like you, you have to, and that includes how you label yourself. Like you wouldn't tell your best friend, like, yeah, you're a piece of shit, dude. Like you're real fucking rude to people. And I don't like you, so, you know, you can't do that to yourself. Yeah. All right. On to the next question. Maybe, or maybe you do not have an answer to this one. <laughs> who do you want to be i just want to be a little better than i was today awesome i, I every wow. day just a little better all right all right so I, I got a little twisty one to this too so you said you're going to comic-con right mm-hmm. who would you want to be at comic-con if you could dress up as anybody who would you be Man, I'd want to be the version of Wolverine that I was dressed up as two years ago when I was in super ripped shape (laughs) before the Comic-Con. Yeah, I would definitely maybe want to be that. Um, There's a, there was an, I I had a couple costumes I was actually working on and um, so I would want to be those. Like I had a really cool LED style Green Lantern costume that I was working on and I had a battle suit wolverine costume that i was working on so it would be those i i need to see these pictures this sounds awesome <laughs> they, i didn't finish them i didn't finish them my my creativity meter dropped and now the the i have like a chest piece for the battle armor for wolverine and that's it and it's not even done it's just like kind of done um but yeah that's 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 what are I'm you dressing up this year I don't think I'm going to dress up much. We have to wear the N95 masks and all my cosplays require a certain beard situation. (laughs) Um, And so I might do something fun for a minute. I'm actually going to go as a photographer, even though I I don't really have a lot of experience with that. Um, Because I'm in a couple cosplay groups that um, 
we're going to meet up and we were going to have these big things. And now it's just sort of like, I think we're just going to, we're going to meet up and kind of just rekindle some friendship aspects that have lost. And I think that's just been the focus for me. It's just the people part. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So here's the next question. How are you going to get there? It's a, you know, it's a daily thing, right? So if I want to be a little better tomorrow than I was today, then I have to look at how I was today. And so um, if I'm not able to stop myself in the moment to kind of explore, you know, certain situations, uh, typically in traffic, um, that's usually my, my metric test is how well I, I deal with traffic. If, if, uh, if I'm yelling at people, then I know that I have some work to do. Um, <laughs> and Portland traffic will test that regularly. I, I, do, I think people have stopped just even bothering to use their turn signal. Um, <laughs> I if, I, I think I so. That, that I, maybe it's maybe it's bad for the environment. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. There's a study. I so I I just try. It's not it's not every day that I'm able to, but I just try to look at how I was today. It in certain moments, you know, like if um if there's something that frustrates me and I and I deal with it in an older fashion, you know, if I get upset like I used to and I I react in a certain way, I just try to look at that. So. That you know, that comes from kind of the AA program is is just looking at a daily, daily inventory. Like how how did I do today? And if things went well, or if I did certain things in a good way, then I you know I note that. And if they didn't do as well, then I note that as well. Um, and then you know the next day, try to just do a little bit better. Yeah. What's so you mentioned the traffic thing, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, I want to know how like other than just kind of slowing down your response rate and and kind of turn in and turning it inwards again to look at like what what's going on with you like how do you actually deal with traffic and crazy drivers like how can you get better every day by focusing on just that thing in your life well i kind of just look at my motivation in the moment like, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to get to work? Am I going to be late for work? Am I mad at this driver because they're making me late for work? Well, you know, if they're making me late for work, then I left too late for work. Like, mm -hmm. there's no amount of traffic that is unexpected that is going to harm my job. So if I am feeling like I am in a hurry, then I put myself in that position to be in a hurry. And yeah, the person who just cut me off unnecessarily and now caused a backup is adding to that. Um, but I'm the reason why I'm late. Like if I am running late or I'm the reason why I feel that anxiety that I might be running late. And that doesn't mean I have to leave like a half an hour early because there might be a backup on <laughs> I-5 or something like that. But if, I, if I'm leaving myself no room for error and then I allow outside circumstances like try like some other person to increase the chance of that error to happen then that's that's on me mm -hmm. um but that doesn't really answer that question right so really if i'm if i'm in a good place if i'm working a good program then i just i just don't care like if somebody cuts me off it's irritating and i give them the dad hands like the hands in the air like what the fuck you know and i hope they can see me yeah. um but that's it. Like, and then I go on about my day, like not much about my day changes. If I'm put in a position where I feel like my life isn't threatened because somebody just made a terrible decision in traffic, that might be different. 
but typically the things that I need to worry the most about are if if somebody does something in in traffic that causes me to react in a way that can put others at harm. You know, if somebody cuts me off and I get pissed off and I speed up behind them and I start flashing my lights at them or something ridiculous like that, I am now putting other people in danger and I'm the person that's going to cause somebody else to have a bad day unnecessarily mm -hmm. when at most that person maybe cost me a minute and a half, you know, or something else I used to do. If somebody comes up behind me, if I'm going like 70 in the, in the, the passing lane and somebody comes up behind me and they're, they're acting all ridiculous, like that's still not fast enough. I used to slow down <laughs> and, and like match the speed of the person next to me and just mess with them. Right. And just mess with them. But now I'm causing them to freaking lose their mind when they've already had their mind lost or whatever's <laughs> going on in their head. I, and now I'm just playing games and I'm not thinking about the other traffic. I'm not thinking about yeah. the fact that whatever that person now does is going to cause even more traffic. I could have just got over that person, go about his day, and then that's it. The whole situation is over with. Yeah. Um, so the little things like that. Like, I try to play the tape out. What am I going to get from this if I react a certain way? Like, does it matter that this person cut me off or that this person is swerving because they're on their cell phone? Um is it is it affecting my day and if it is it's probably because i am choosing to do something in a reaction to that that's now affecting my day not because of something they're doing wow i i hope so many people listen to what you just said there in that description <laughs> because like it's amazing how much choice we have over how we feel and how holding on to something that might have momentarily offended us in a personal way just makes it that much worse for not just us, but like the the rollover effect onto other people potentially. Yeah. And all you got to do is like, let it go. You know? Yeah. You don't even necessarily, and that's, that's, I think the thing that people might get stuck on is you don't necessarily have to let it go. You're allowed to be upset about shit. Like you're allowed to even rant about it, but yeah. not in a way that it then affects the, you know, there, there's nothing that you shouldn't hold on to the it shouldn't affect the whole day because if i and i've said this before to someone if 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 something that happens to me in traffic causes me maybe i don't respond in traffic but now i'm mulling over it and i'm not allowing myself to just feel the feelings and expressing it and you know just doing the things that are that are healthy to kind of expel that if i am holding on it like you said um and make it to work and now i'm in a bad mood and i'm shitty to my coworker and that that rollover effect um, that doesn't mean that I have to immediately, it, it, when somebody does do something like that, it doesn't mean that I immediately have to be like, well, that's fine. That's, yeah, that's right. no big deal. It just means that I don't react in a way that I, I can fucking rant about that internally all day if I want. Um, as long as I'm still treating people with respect and humility, like as long as I'm still going about my day in a way that isn't harming others. Yeah, if I if I feel like I need to internalize that for a couple hours and have those shower arguments with how I would approach that person if I saw him on the street or whatever bullshit. <laughs> like I used to suppress that a lot, that kind of internal thing. And there is a balance. Like suppressing it was the the wrong answer because then the shit would pop up later, especially in like relationships. Yeah. Um, but also understanding that I'm now just replaying a tape and I'm obsessing over this thing. That's a big difference too. Uh, even if it doesn't affect my friends or whatever. Um, but yeah, allowing myself to have those moments of like, well, that dude's an asshole. Um, 
and I don't appreciate that, like is also helpful. Like it's not really a matter of simply just letting it go. Cause I think that in AA, you hear people say that a lot and you can see the people that pisses off and cause it seems like such an impossible task, just letting things go. Obviously if I could just let things go, I wouldn't be <laughs> two and a half years sober. Uh, I would be 25 years sober, you know? Yeah. Um, so it does sound simple to just let those things go, but I don't think that, I think it's more just finding a balance, allowing yourself to be irritated and upset, uh, but also allowing it not to completely take over and derail your whole day. Yeah. yeah I, think, yeah, go ahead, Kara. I was just going to say, it's, it's just that progress over perfection thing again. And like yeah. knowledge or like these kind of life lessons, I feel like they, they sink in over time. I mean, you used the word like slow burn earlier. Yeah. Um, and I think that really relates to this. Like there's a certain point where we learn something, but it's just superficial. Like, oh, if I let someone, you know, um, upset me in traffic, for example, and then I go to work and I yell at my coworker for no reason, like that's a bad thing. And like you learn it at a superficial level, but it takes a long time for it to really sink down and get into like, the crevices of your soul to the point where you're minimally affected by it or able to like process the emotions uh like as quickly as running the washing machine and then it's out and like no longer you know caked in there but yeah it's like layers layers of knowing like, yeah for sure yeah. I, I when i when i talk to my girlfriend's son about his emotions i try to explain that you know you're allowed to have your emotions that you have. They're, they're always going to be there. Um, but over time, how you, how those emotions happen are going to change. Like there's certain things about me that are, I'm, that would upset me today that didn't upset me last year. You, even though those emotions are still there, they, they, they change. Like I used to be a very sensitive person and I used to allow things to not allow things. Things used to just emotionally bother me that don't emotionally bother me now. And that's because I've dug down deeper and been able to kind of uncover the insecurities that would cause those emotions to even exist in the first place. You know, it's not like I've, I have not done much to manage or ignore or change my emotions. I've changed the things underneath it that even cause them to begin with. I don't know if that made sense. It does. It does. You know, you change your your actions or your reactions, and that that's going to make a big difference. You know, in the kind, end game, kind, kind of. So I, I think more what I would what I would mean there is uh, my insecurities of you know feeling a certain kind of way in social situations. Um, I. I didn't change my my action or reaction to those things. I changed my relationship to those emotions, I guess. So hmm. I'm not as insecure in social situations because I feel I am more aware of who I am as a person. Um, so there wasn't as much of an action change. Like I don't, I, I maybe the action changes that I go into social situations a little bit more confidently, but that's as a result of me being more understanding of who I am as a person. And that's where my, my insecurity, which would cause the emotions and, and the anxiety and all the issues I had in social situations came from the fact that I wasn't confident of who I am as a person inside and digging into those layers. Like, like she had mentioned, I had to get real, real deep. And even though I didn't think any of that stuff was related, the things I uncovered and learned about myself 
just alter those emotions in general. So the emotions lead to actions for me and changing the underlying cause of those emotions, change the emotions altogether. Cool. I get it now. I get it. <laughs> All right. We're on to the bonus question. All right. <laughs> oh yeah. You made it through. I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's the bonus question. What is the most adventurous thing you've ever done? Well, there's, okay, there's two. There's probably a ton, but the two most, <laughs> the two most relate specifically to how strongly my social anxiety kind of ruled my life. Um, the, the, and they're both related to Comic-Con, but there's two different Comic-Cons. The first, the first one, and they're equal. That's why I'm telling you both. The first one was I was at a Comic-Con and I, I think I was just a few months sober, six months or less. And, but I was, I was really learning about this idea of, you know, if I, if I want to feel confident about myself, then I have to believe that I am and kind of changing my language about how I talk to myself. And, you know, I had been going to the gym, so I felt, uh, you know, kind of a physical confidence. Um, but I was still kind of freezing up in conversations and especially with women that I found attractive. And so I go to Comic-Con and there's this, there's this, uh, speed dating thing going on at comic-con and nice. at this point i'm feeling kind of good about myself and like I'm, I'm i'm handling this but let's put it to the test and this is usually <laughs> i would just, i would never have done this before but i was like i'm gonna sign up i'm gonna do it so i paid 20 bucks i just went in there with and I, I, before i even went in there i was like okay no expectations uh even if you find somebody attractive and you have a a good experience with them it doesn't have to mean anything so you can just just be loose nobody in there knows who you are they don't know anything about you i kind of gave myself like a like a pep talk and i put yeah. that sort of perspective of you know you now have to put all this shit you've been telling people about yourself to, to to the test like you've been talking about how you feel more confident and you feel better about yourself and and go in there and it was a blast i had a great time i just went in there with with like at the most ease I've ever been in those kinds of situations. And while I found out that most of the women that were part participating worked for the, the group that was putting on the thing, like they, <laughs> they weren't actually participating because I mean, it's, I, I get why they were doing that because yeah. it's not like a lot of women were signing up, but regardless, I still ended up connecting with a couple of people and uh, we ended up friends later that ended up leading to me joining other like kind of groups and stuff like that. So it was, it was fun. It was just a good experience. And it, it just wasn't something I, I would have felt confident doing um, years ago. And then the other one would be going to a Comic-Con, the one I'm going to now um, as Wolverine. Uh, Cause I had set, it was one of the times where I learned how my goal setting works, how my mental goal setting works. Like I was like, I told myself, I want to go as Wolverine in the tank top, the, the, the costume, you know, the Hugh Jackman costume. And I also want to go as this video game character, Ryu. There's a bearded version, but he doesn't have a shirt on. And so in order for my brain to think that that was going to be something I could do, I, I better get into actual shape because I've been working out, but this time I'm like, I'm going to take this seriously. And I know I was checking myself into really pursuing a physical goal, which I've done before. But that turned into, I'm going to be in better shape at 40 than I was at 26, which was the last time I was in really serious shape. Um, 
But that also meant that when I, I, I told myself I was going to go alone, I was going to go there and I was going to actually make friends like mm. a kid, like a, when, a, when you're eight years old and you're like, I like your shoes. And then you end up being friends for 25 years. Like I was going to go and I was just going to hang out with people and I wasn't going to feel awkward about not knowing what to do. And I'll just be genuine and tell people, I don't know what I'm doing and just see how it goes. Um, and then I was going to be there the whole time. Cause when you go to Comic-Con dressed in costume, you're, it's a different process than when you go there and you just go to look at swag and buy comic books. When you're dressed in costume, you have tons of people wanting to take pictures with you. You have other cosplayers that want to take pictures with you. You have people that want your attention. Um, and it's just kind of a fun, very, very, uh, very weird experience. And it's, and it's a very social experience. So it was going to be like a real test to how I was doing. Like, cause I, I could witness myself all I wanted and, and check in, but uh, without putting that, into practice um my present time really made crowds a hard thing for me to handle even decades later and mm. uh so that was going to be put to the test so anyways i i did I, I worked my ass off i got into really good shape um got my little costume together i chose wolverine because it's cheap so if i did back out uh, <laughs> for whatever reason if my anxiety just was not going to to allow this to happen then i i wasn't out a lot of money and I ended up again. I ended up just having an amazing time. I, I was on the news. Like I, I made a bunch of friends that I'm still friends with. You know, years later, I joined a group cool. that does like hospital visits. Um, just it just was a great experience because I kind of just allowed myself to do this thing. Um, mm -hmm. No expectations. The same kind of process. I just went in there with like, whatever happens, happens. You know, don't take, you know, I, I didn't allow myself to take things personally if somebody didn't respond socially because before I would internalize that, well, I'm doing something wrong. Uh, but now I, I went with like the sense that if I have social anxiety, then other people do. Yeah. And maybe that's what's going on with them. Maybe they don't like me and that's okay too. People don't have to like me. Like just the perspective just shifted. Um, and that was the most adventurous because... Up until that point, you know, I had spoken in front of panels about my prison experience. I had spoken in front of, you know, I had taught uh, community activism classes and I'd done stuff like that. But none of that was as personal as expressing these things that I would have used, maybe still kind of do as an identifier of who I am in a way that was as vulnerable as going there in costume, not knowing anybody with the intention of walking away with friends like just knowing that that's, I felt fully confident that that's how it was going to go. And, uh, and it did, it went, it went exactly that way. It's just, just an amazing time. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Bill, I want to go. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty fun, fun, man. It's addicting. Um, yeah, I met a lot of really good people there. Uh, um, that sounds like, I just love everything about it. I, I don't even want to say anything else. It was just, that was a perfect answer. Honestly, that's what's helped me transition from identifying as a person in recovery and having that be a big part of my identity and just being a person who happens to not drink. Um, yeah. These people, none of these people are in recovery. They have normal experiences with alcohol. None of them, they know that I'm in recovery, but like, that's not our experience. We don't have that as a shared experience, but we mm -hmm. still have the same type of, of commonality. You know, we still have things that are that are shared. Like I can be over at their house and they could have a couple of drinks. It's not a big deal. But when I'm with them, I am not a member of AA 
hanging out with cosplayers. I'm just some guy that they like to hang out with. And yeah. that, that did a lot to change my, my perception on, you know, how I viewed my sobriety. Yeah. I, I mean that I wish there was more of that in the world of recovery because I feel, and these are my personal feelings, but when you enter quote unquote recovery, you're now labeled, you have to do these things. You can only hang out with these people. Otherwise you're going to relapse and your life's going to be over. And like, yeah. that's not true. Like recovery is about living the life that you want to live and like living free. And when you're just surrounding yourself and labeling yourself as I am an alcoholic or I'm in recovery, guess what? you're not free of it because you're still talking about, it. you're still labeling yourself. You're still like living within these restrictions that you put yourself under. And yeah, for sure. this doesn't mean you, like you should go out and drink because you don't want to have restrictions on yourself. It's just that like, you know this about yourself and that's not what you want to do anymore. And you want to actually live and experience the world and go to Comic-Con dress as Wolverine and go to crazy speed dating things. And you know, all those awesome things that have nothing to do with recovery they're just everything to do with real life i i absolutely agree i mean that's part of why i started the podcast you know i do you know i do read the big book of alcoholics anonymous and i and i do go to aa meetings but um aa has become very specific on the way that it practices things and it does have a, a set of atheists aren't super welcome in most AA meetings. And that wasn't really the whole purpose of that program being the way that it is. Um, but the whole hope is, is that people will start there, right? Because that's just generally where you end up starting, like, because it's such a big organization and realize that there's more out there that no, just because you don't have a certain set of beliefs doesn't mean that you're going to die an absolute miserable drunk. It doesn't mean that you're going to relapse. Um, but there are tools there that can be utilized even as an atheist that can lead to this other kind of realization that you can change your relationship with alcohol and drugs to where it is just not something it's just, it doesn't benefit you in life and you know that. And so you don't do the thing like, I, I mean, it's very simply that for me, it is kind of an allergy, or at least I've chosen to look at it that way. It's a, a not true probably, but um, once I was able and willing to to start with AA as an identity, I guess was how it was, um, with an open mind that that wouldn't always be the case, then it, it did make that easier of a, of a switch. When I became sober, I was a part of sobriety, and now I've transitioned to being just someone who is sober. Um, yeah. But I do think it is important for some people. Like what I've learned in in, our, in AA, more so that that does tie with this is that I, not everybody's going to reach a point to where they can live without AA being their whole life, mm -hmm. and that that is okay too. Mm -hmm. If they're staying sober and they're being better people and they're and they're progressing in life, that is a complete night and day from what they were doing when they were in active alcohol addiction or other addictions. That's fine too. Like that's that's great if that's what they need. Some people need a, a sponsor that tells them exactly what to do, and that's how they they function. But what I think AA fails in is that they they really push hard on that 
aspect of it and feel threatened by the idea that some people might transition away from AA. So there is that protectiveness where they tell people that if you're not working this program the way that we tell you to, then you're going to drink and you're going to die or that your, your quality of your sobriety isn't as good, you know, and that's, that's a backwards way of, of doing it. And it's, it's really detrimental to people like me who can use AA. I can go to a meeting and, and really get a lot out of it. Um, but if I miss a meeting for a couple of weeks, my, my program, I guess, if I even call it that anymore, is strong enough that I, I don't, that isn't a part of my, me going to a meeting isn't what's keeping me sober. Yeah. Me reading the book isn't what's keeping me sober. None, none of that is what is currently anymore keeping me sober. Um, now, recovery is different, of course, doing better in my life. And I use the tools that I've learned from AA, but I also use tools that I've learned from SMART. And I've learned tools that I learned from people that have never drank before uh, or have never drank alcoholically before, I should say that. Um, you know, I've learned just so many different things. And the fear of feeling like that I'm going to fail somehow if I utilize those other tools was, was one of the biggest, like, I'm so glad that left me that fear. Yeah. Uh, and so that's part of what the podcast is, is while I do read the book, uh, as it's written as an atheist, um, I also explore the idea that, you know, there is a transition that can come from this where you just live a life and just happen to be sober. And that's mm -hmm. a big difference. Awesome. Uh, that's, we're going to have to save this conversation for your podcast, because I feel like we could <laughs> all go on for a long time about yeah, this. Fair enough. Because, yeah. So, all right, Kira. Oh, okay. So we end each podcast with a positive or inspirational or growth oriented quote. And this one is from Andy Rooney, who I believe he's an old newscaster, um, television, radio um, newscaster. And the quote is, everyone wants to live on top of the mountain, but all the happiness and growth occurs while you're climbing it. So Josh, what does this quote mean to you? Any initial reactions or thoughts about it? I mean, I think that's kind of just what we're talking about <laughs> this whole, this whole podcast. Like, I don't even know if I ever want to, I don't want to make it to the top of the mountain. I don't want to feel like I'm done learning things. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, the journey has definitely been the, the most important part, you know? It, yeah. I went to prison. Now I can help people who have kind of have a better outlook on life because of it now, my experiences are just i wouldn't trade any of my experiences for anything even the the really really horrible ones um but also saying that i wouldn't i don't i yeah i don't want to ever reach the top of that that mountain you know i want to keep climbing i i really like this quote and i, I kind of have like a, a slightly different take on it and you know this comes from our personal experience of, of walking 2,200 miles on the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine. And, you know, you, you cross over a ton of mountains. Like, that's what you do, is you just walk up and down mountains for 2,200 miles. And I think for me, that's like the analogy of life. Like, I, I love when I get to the top of the mountain. However, 90% of the mountains that you reach the top of, you don't even know you're at the top of the mountain. You can't even tell. You're just 
in the middle of the woods and there may be like a marker that's like, hey, you've reached the top. But then you get to go down the other side and guess what? Going down usually isn't that easy either. So, yeah, fair. It, you know, it's like, yeah, the top is great, but going up is awesome. And it also sucks going up and going down is great, but it also sucks going down because sometimes you're like walking down through a waterfall and all the drops are like four feet or there's ladders and you're just climbing on trees and it's really, really scary. And sure, there are the, sometimes you get to a summit and it's beautiful, but that is not always the case. So I, I like this, like, yeah, you could live on top of the mountain, but you got to go up and you got to go down. And then when you get to the bottom, guess what? You're just going to have to go up again because there's another mountain in front of you. And that's like, for me, that's like my life. You know, I may get something great, but then I got to go down again. And then I get to the bottom, then I got to go back up. And it's, you know, it's a beautiful journey because sometimes you get a beautiful view. Other times it's just walking in the woods. I like, I like what you said where you don't even know sometimes that you're on the peak until you're on the way back down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah. That's, that's super important. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of great analogies there for life. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's it. You made it to the end, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's awesome. We wanted been to... a, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate this. Yeah. We loved having you. It was super fun learning about your journey to happiness, learning about your your life in cosplay that I like grew up with Marvel and comic books and cosplay is something I've never done. I've never been to a Comic-Con. I've never dressed up as a anybody other than like for Halloween. And uh, it seems it seems like a blast. So it is. I appreciate that. Still. Yeah, yeah, do it. Just dropped it in the bucket, my friend. <laughs> So yeah. once again, I just wanted to thank you. I also want to thank our listeners and I wanted to let everybody know that we have a worksheet to help you uncover your happiness. It's a free resource we made for you and it will lead you to find out who you are now, who you want to be and how you are going to get there. The link and the description will be at the bottom of this podcast. Thank you so much, everybody. If you're interested in being on the podcast, there will be a link to contact us as well. Have a great day. Thank you. Peace and love. Thanks, guys.